Jesus has done, but we commemorate what Jesus did for us on the cross on this day. And we set it aside to remember. The Bible said as often as we remember it, that there's a blessing. Amen. And so we want to remember what he has done for us on this day. Praise God. Today we want to continue a series that we began last week in Luke's gospel chapter 15. We'll turn your attention there this morning. We'll read verses 11 through 24. The Bible said, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered together, uh, journeyed into a far country and wasted his portion with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he had yet a great way off, his father came and had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet 
and bring a fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead is alive again and he was lost and is found and they began to be merry amen I want to talk to you today on this subject finding your way home finding your way home I have this really bad habit of losing my keys. I think it, you know, y'all pray for me, but I think the person who created keys should be just be done away with. I hate keys. I hate keys in my pocket. I hate to have them carrying around all the time. And so I always will take them out and put them somewhere where I will remember where they are eight weeks later. (laughs) They're never where I put them. (laughs) Somebody always moves them, of course. And this past week, I had one of those episodes where that I had them when I came to church, and I don't know what happened to them, but I couldn't find them Sunday afternoon. I couldn't find them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I went all week without my water keys now it was a blessing on my leg because I didn't have to carry them around but it's hard to get indoors that have locks in them when you don't have the keys Uh, I know anybody else probably don't have that problem but pray for me all right uh it's (laughs) and thank God my wife came home and found them and but you I went all week without the keys that I needed to to get into vehicles, to get into buildings, whatever the case was. And I didn't know that I lost them until I needed them. I didn't know that they were missing because I don't ever carry them around. I always put them somewhere. And, and it, it did not even dawn on me that they were gone until I needed to get into the house. That's how it works in real life. You don't realize that you've lost something until you need it. You take gradual steps until you go so far and then you realize the thing that you need, you do not have. It happens to us as human beings. We we find ourselves, we go so far and then we realize that this isn't the road that I thought I was on. This is not the place that I thought I was. This is, and, and it's not until we come to that place that we're lost that we realize that we have taken a wrong turn in life. Last week we started this teaching called Finding Your Way Home and today we we started looking at these two prodigal sons. Some people call it, uh, this story is called the prodigal son, singular, but in reality it is plural. Both sons are prodigals. They just took different ways to be lost. One of the sons stays in the house but is still as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Because he doesn't have, doesn't have any understanding or have a right understanding of his relationship with his father. When you read that story, the, the son that stayed home was looking at it as a business proposition saying, if I do this, then I'm going to get this. And he continues to have this bad relationship even though he's still in the house. So he is a prodigal. 
The other son is the one we want to look at here today, is the prodigal that chose to leave the house. Amen. What this, this young man, this younger son struggled with is what many of us are struggling with. They, we are looking to find something. We, we want to be happy. How many people have you seen that, that say, I just want to be happy? We want purpose. Nobody just wants to go through life or do anything without purpose. Something that has meaning, something that has value. Want to be, have fulfillment in life. But the only problem is, is he just went about it the wrong way. But it's the way that many of us go about our lives. So how do you find something that you've lost, especially if you're the one that is lost? I want to look at three things here in this story today that I believe that are important. And if you are the person that is lost or you have someone who is lost, how you can find your way home. The first thing is I need to know what I'm looking for. What is it that I'm looking for? Have you ever had somebody ask you to help find something that you didn't know what it was? And they said, I, you said, describe it. And they said, well, it's about this big and it's, you know, and it's orange and, and, and whatever. And you don't know what you're looking for. You could, you could come out with an, a, a watermelon, you know. You, you don't know what you're looking for. And their description to you is not clear. So if you don't know what you're looking for, you may think you found what you're looking for when you really have not. Right? The prodigal son leaves home searching for freedom. He wants to live a life on his own terms. And the younger son leaves because he simply doesn't want to be home anymore. But what drives him, him to believe that, that, that it, there's something better is the fact that he thinks he knows best. And that's why he's willing to cause his family incredible pain is because he thinks he knows what is best. In this culture, to ask his father for his portion of inheritance is a huge insult to his dad. He is saying to his father, I wish that you were dead because you don't get an inheritance until someone dies. And so he is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. In that culture, the only response to, to be given to that kind of insult is to punch that boy in the face and beat him repeatedly till he's out of the house. Amen. But the dad doesn't do that. The father does something incredibly unthinkable. He divides all of his property. I want you to notice verse 12, what it says. He says he divided up his livelihood. The Greek word for livelihood is translated life. The way that the son got the inheritance was that his dad gave his son a portion of the ancestral land. There weren't no ATMs. There weren't no banks. But it was about land. It was about herds. It was about a livestock. And he had to go and give him a portion or part of his life or his land 
And then the son turns around and sells this, this piece of land that has been in the family for, history, for all, all of history, right? Are you walking with me? So it's something that his great-great-grandfather probably had. It's something his grandfather and his father had inquired by inheritance. And now this son takes a half of it whenever he doesn't even deserve half of it because he's the, he's the, the, the uh, second son. So by rights, he's only supposed to get one-third of what his father has. But his father generously gives him half of it. And now he takes that land, turns around, and sells it. And verse 13 tells us just a few days later, he leaves town with the cash. Right? And so it's very likely that he probably sold this to Gentiles because they're the only ones that would have not cared that this was an ancestral land. They didn't care about it. They just knew they got a good deal on it, right? So what's the point? The father divides the land that according to the word Jesus uses, he he divided his life. Why? Because this is the only way he can leave the door open for reconciliation with his son. And the other alternative was to hit him, excommunicate him from the family. So he accepts the humiliation, the father. He accepts the pain. And he, and he sees that his heart is ripped apart and tore out of his life. But you see, friend, this is a picture of Father God. Amen. This is a picture of he who gave his life on the cross. Amen. So that we could be reconciled back to Father God. This is a picture of him giving the perfect lamb to be slain upon a cross so that you and I who were afar from God, were away from God, who were abandoned from the household of faith and separated from his love. The father loved us so much that he gave his son's life so that we could be reconciled to him and have life more abundantly. If you're thankful for that, I want you to give him some kind of praise today. Instead of shunning us and forcing us to pay the price of our own sin debt, he allowed his life, his flesh to be ripped apart so that we could be reconciled back to our Father. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I'm thankful today that we can be reconciled back to our Father, aren't you? The second thing that we need to know is I need to retrace my steps. This past week, whenever I lost my keys, I traced them back to I had them on Sunday morning. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you ask yourself, how did I get here? How did I get here? This isn't nothing like what I had planned or expected or even anticipated. 
This is what the younger son is thinking as he's feeding the pigs and looking at the pods and wishing that he could eat the pig slop. He's thinking to himself, how is it that I got to this point? How did I get here? You don't have to be an expert at Jewish culture to understand that this isn't kosher. Amen. But the son came to himself in the pig pen. This phrase came to himself is a Jewish phrase that means repentance. He came to himself or he repented in the pig pen. You see, repent is a word that we rarely use anymore because it's got a bad negative rap. But it's a beautiful word. Repentance, repent means to change one's mind. When we're on the wrong track, God will use circumstances and everything else at his disposal to get us to come to our senses so we'll change our mind. He loves us so much that he allows things to come so that we'll make a U-turn. The Greek culture, the word It refers to changing one's mind. In the Hebrew, it means this. It means that it's not just repentance, but it also refers to changing the direction. It's not just good enough to repent. Repentance is the first step. But if you repent and continue to go the way you're going, it isn't going to change anything. But you have to repent and then change directions. Glory to God. You see, God wants us today to change directions. Have you ever got lost and that little lady on there tells you on your GPS, you have missed your turn. I can't do it high-pitched. I changed mine to a man, and he was only on there for a day and left. I don't know what happened. But that little lady with the high pitch tells you, Whenever it is safe, make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Sometimes we got to make a U-turn. We did, we, we did, this, this path did not take us to where we thought it was going to take us. Only a fool continues to go in the path that they are going when they realize it's not the right direction. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. All you've got to do is think. And when you understand that this is not the direction that I need to go, then we make a U-turn. That's a wise thing to do. Whenever we realize that we're not on the right path of life, right, we need to repent and then change our direction and go the way that we need to go. You see, the cross is that, 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 that eternal light that shines to let us know this is the direction you need to go. If you keep your eyes upon Calvary, no matter where you go, no matter how far you have strayed away, no matter where you are in your life, If you will look for the cross, it'll always lead you back to Jesus. Amen. And I'm telling you today that sometimes in our life we need to repent of where we are and change our direction because we have realized this is not taking us where we intended to go. 
2 Corinthians 7 tells us, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation and not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The prodigal son came to his senses and he repents and it produces a desire to go home. But that's not exactly what he had hoped for. The writer, he begins to write his speech and begins to to make up his speech about uh, what he's going to do when he gets there. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I hadn't seen this until this week, but this isn't him saying, Dad, I'm willing to be a slave because slaves don't get paid. Right? Instead, he is saying, I want to get paid like one of your skilled laborers so I can repay the debt that I've caused you. Right? This is what happens to many people. They think that I need to get right with life before I can get right with God. So I can clean up my act so God will accept me. And the reality of it is, is when we do that, we are trying to be God ourselves. We try to, if, if you, listen, if you could change your life right now, you wouldn't need God. If you could deal with the bondages, the habits, the sin habits in your life, you could save yourself. But the reality of it is, is you can't save yourself. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself right. And to think that you are able to work for it and be able to work for the grace or salvation is even worse. The prodigal son is crafting his speech because he doesn't believe his father is willing to accept him as he is. He doesn't think that he is going to accept him because he has disrespected him so severely. Here's the point. God is not waiting for you to clean up your act. This is an attempt on your own to, to say, this. I, I'm good enough, I can do it on my own. But you see, God is not accepting you based upon your good works. He is accepting you because you're his son, you're his daughter, and he loves you. Amen? He loves you. So instead, by the time that the son gets home, he drops the negotiation speech and he simply asks the father for forgiveness and for grace. Amen. I want to tell you today that that's what we need. None of us. The Bible said at our best, we are as filthy rags in the sight of God. But listen to me. He loves you and he accepts you because he's a gracious God. And his grace supersedes anything that you can do do 
You can't merit it. You can't buy it. You can't work hard enough. You can't labor enough. You can't be good enough to receive the grace of God. But Father, God loves you so much. I I pray today that you feel the love of the Father. I pray today that in a fatherless generation, in an orphan spirit over our nation, that you will feel the love of the Father today in your life that says to you that you don't have to prove nothing to me. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is come, repent, and say, Father, here I am. I surrender to your will, your way in my life, and change your direction. And Father, God loves you that much that he will bring you to himself. Many times we try to clean up our act. But the son said, I'm going to drop the negotiation. I'm not going to ask to be a hired servant in your house. I'm not even worthy of that. I'm just going to ask you, will you forgive me? The third thing that I must do if I'm going to find my way back home is I need to receive God's grace. I want you to notice something here. The younger son alters his speech and he does not ask to be a skilled worker in his father's house. He realizes that he's already screwed that up so badly that the only thing that he can ask his father for is grace. What does grace mean? Grace means getting what I do not deserve. I know that grace is a rainbow collar and it means a whole lot, but that's just the simple way to put it. I get what I do not deserve. What does the son deserve? A son that wished his father dead. A son that asked for his inheritance before his father had passed. A son that had sold his father's ancestral land to the Gentiles and then spent all of the money on wild living and is now penniless. What does he deserve? The first century Jewish custom would do this. Whenever a Jewish person would lose the ancestral inheritance and come into the city or the community, they would take a large vase and they would drop it in front of them for it to crash on the ground, symbolizing that they are, it is broken. And whenever they did this, they would cry out to allow all the people in the community to know that this person had come back to the village, but they were no longer a part of the family. They were cut off from society. They were not allowed to have fellowship with all of the rest of the Jewish community, let alone their family. And after the ceremony, they they would have nothing to do with this wayward person. But this is not what the father, this, this was what the right of the father was, but he did not do that. He could have just said, you have been a waste you are not worthy you have chose this life now live with it but aren't you thankful that the father didn't do that to you and I 
The Bible said that he raced to his son to meet him. This is what the the father knew. He knew that the community already had the vase, already had the bowl, ready to run out and to, to, uh, if you will, assassinate this young man. Say, you no longer live, you no longer exist. But the father was constantly looking for the son. He was going to beat them to the punch. Even though that all of this had happened, there it was still his son. If you have children, you can identify with this today. That no matter what they have done, no matter what is going on, they're still your child and you still love them. And this is what the father could have allowed to happen. But he refused to allow that to happen to his son. So he would watch consistently and continually for the son to come back into the village. And it first sight of him he would run to where he was and he would reach out and he would connect with him he was saying I'm not going to allow them to do that to you I'm not going to allow them to say that you are cut off from my family I want you to know son that I love you I want you to know that I'm here for you and you're still part of the family yes you insulted me yes my heart was broken yes I was humiliated amen but I still love you this is a picture of Jesus Christ he was humiliated with our sin he was embarrassed before a pilot's hall his life was a mess because of our sin but he still loved us glory to God he loved us while we were yet sinners that Christ would die for us that we could have life and have it more abundantly This is what happens. He runs to him and he kisses him. Because in the Greek, he raced to him, meant that he was running fast, but it meant that he he said he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Why? Because a kiss was something that represented a a, a relationship, a connection. It it represented that the father still said to the son, you're part of the family. We are in relationship, right? And so he wanted the community to know, yes, this is my son that was lost, but he's still my son. We're still in connection. And so he said he kissed him. What that literally means is he kissed him again and again. And this is what happens. The kiss symbolizes that the father was accepting his son and the relationship was restored. First century culture, the kiss was a sign of love and loyalty. And a disciple might kiss their master to signify a specialness of connection or relationship. That's the reason when Judas come and betrayed Jesus with a kiss it was a betrayal because Jesus said that's not what the kiss is for there are two things that I want to look at here today that are important in this text number one the father didn't enable the son's rebellion it took the son getting into the pig pen making his way to the bottom so he would desire to come back home. I want to say to you today, you don't have to hit bottom to come home. 
God will accept you at any moment, at any time in our life, but sometimes isn't it true that we have to go all the way to the bottom? The father, I'm sure his heart was broken, but he allowed him to go to the bottom so he would have a desire to come home. As parents, there's nothing we want, wouldn't do for our kids. But sometimes you have to allow them to own their own decisions. And the worst thing that we can do sometimes is bailing them out. The father wasn't sending money whenever he had heard that everything was lost. He didn't use his contacts to get his son a better job at the pig farm. He just allowed him to go to the bottom. Guess what? They aren't going to overcome until they come to their senses. And sometimes it means experiencing the pig pen of our own consequences before we make that decision that we want to go back home. Amen. Listen, that doesn't start when you're 20 years old. That starts when they're two. Amen. When that kid starts throwing that temper tantrum, in the store, falls on the ground, kicking and screaming. If you don't know it, let me tell you something. They know they're embarrassing you. And the reason that they're doing it is in hopes of you giving in. They think that if I outlast them, I'll get the candy bar. Amen. I can tell you after church how to handle that. If you have a prodigal son or daughter, here's the prayer that we should pray daily over them. God, I love my son. I love my daughter so much, but I know that you love them more. So I'm asking you, make them completely miserable until they cry out to you. God, I'm, allow, I'm willing to allow them to see them in temporary misery so they don't spend eternity lost in hell. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 2 says, your own wickedness will uh, correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that this is evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. The prodigal reminds me of the book of Jeremiah. It is there that God is weeping because his people have turned their backs on him and have turned to worship idol gods. So God is allowing them to go into captivity for 70 years. And in the midst of that 70 years of backsliding, if you will, it is there that in that captivity, they have a desire inside of the leadership to come back home. And when those 70 years were up, 
they left their idol gods and went back to Jehovah God, never to return to idols again. Here's the point. The father would have been hurting his son by enabling him or trying to help him in the pig pen. If he would have extracted him from it, he would have never seen the misery, the mess of the pig pen. So he allowed him to stay in the pig pen for a season so that he wouldn't live his, the rest of his life there. It was only way that the son would have come to his senses. Do you know the same thing is true with us? You can be far from God. You can, you can hate him. You can turn, be turning out to, to go your own way and do your own thing. And then you can call on God and ask him, God, would you just help me out of this mess? You may even be upset with him because he didn't answer. You may be bitter, but he didn't answer you because he doesn't love you. He loved you with an everlasting love. He did not answer you because he didn't change your circumstances because he's not going to bail you out. That's not his intent. He's paid far too great a price just to bail you out of your mess so you can stay in your mess. He has sent his son so that you can enjoy life. And have it more abundantly. God didn't answer you. Maybe even for made us mad. Or made us think that he doesn't love us. But he does love us. There's nothing you can do to make God not love you. But understand this. God didn't bail you out. Because he loves you too much. To enable you to stay in the pig pen. If you people wouldn't listen. Wouldn't listen. I'll go off by myself and weep over you. Weep because of your stubborn arrogance, bitter, bitter tears, rivers of tears from my eyes because God's sheep will end up in exile, Jeremiah 13 and 17. Though it hurts him to see you in that position, he will come running to reconcile you when you repent and are willing to change your direction. He's faithful in it. The second thing is this, the son came to the father on the father's terms. My concern with with American religious system is that Everybody is a Christian and everybody's going to heaven. And that's just not true. You have to do something to go to heaven. You don't have to do nothing to go to hell. The father... The son had to come to the father on the father's terms. He had all this speech written out of how he was going to approach his father and talking to him and make me a skilled craftsman and I'll earn a nice salary and I'll repay you the debt of the monies that I owe you from the farm. But when he got to the father, he asked his father for grace. 
He wasn't indicating or manipulating or trying to make a deal. He fell at his father's feet and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Maybe you're here and that's your story. You want God in your life, but it's always had to be on your terms. You want him, but you want him to come into your life instead of you going into his life. He doesn't work that way. You have to come to him with a godly sorrow. And in your godly sorrow, you no longer take him into your life. You step into his life and you live life to the fullest because you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. But a lot of people, as long as he is blessing you, 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 you want him. But the moment that things don't work out the way that you think they should, you're cursing his name. But if he doesn't do what you think and do it on your terms, then, then you and him aren't all right. You may be mad at God because you, you've gone your way, that, that because God was allowing you to come to the end of your rope and to realize that the direction you're going is not a good direction. So that when you hear this invitation in a few moments that I'm going to give to you, that you will understand that you need to repent. You need to turn and ask God for grace and forgiveness. Because if you choose to come home, you ask God for forgiveness, he'll run to where you are. And he, you, you will experience tremendous love, grace, forgiveness and mercy like you have never experienced in your life because the father's love and grace is unexplainable this son has humiliated him has embarrassed him has lost his half of his life He goes into the village and in front of the whole family, in front of the whole village, the father runs to him and shows him grace. The father never gets angry, but instead he's always looking for the son, the prodigal, to find his way home. He never goes to where the son is, but he's always looking for the son to start his way home. And the moment that he repents, I mean, understand that repentance didn't take place when he got to the father. The repentance took place in the pig pen. He said, I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn and go in another direction. And his repentance and turning caused him to come to the Father and the Father with amazement. I I can't believe anything else but that that son was so overwhelmed with the Father's response that he would still love him 
that he would still care for him, that he wouldn't allow. The boy must have known the custom of the day. He must have known that the village people were waiting with the bowl to bust it and say, you're done, get out of here. But to imagine the father breaking tradition, pulling up his skirt and running to where he was, wrapping his arms around him and begin to kiss him and say, we've got a relationship. Now, I'm not going to allow you to carry the shame and the embarrassment back into this community. I'm not going to allow them to humiliate you alone. They may humiliate you, but if they do it, they're going to do it with me with you. And he kissed him, said, we're in relationship. You know, there's a whole lot of people today walking around full of guilt, full of shame full of embarrassment for anybody to know what they've done in life. Huh? But there's not a single one of us in here today that if on this video screen we could replay our life and it would flash up here on these screens. There isn't a single one of us here today that don't have something that we wish we'd had never done. There's none of us that would have, we showed our whole past that came up here today that we wouldn't tip out of this house and probably never come back because of embarrassment and shame. But I want you to know the love of the Father today supersedes anything that you will ever feel or experience in our life. I understand that we're in the midst of an orphan generation, a fatherless generation, and you may not have had the privilege of growing up knowing the love of a father. And if you haven't, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But listen to me today. He loves you no matter where you are or what you have done. And he, just as this father was standing on the porch looking for the first sign of his son coming home, he's standing on the gates of heaven, if you will, today, and he's looking for prodigals. He's looking for wayward people to say, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of going to dead-end roads. I'm tired of going into places and it not being what I desired and what I wanted to have. Today, I'm going to repent. And I'm going to change my direction. And I'm going back to the Father's house. In the Father's house, there's plenty. In the Father's house, there is no lack. In the midst of a famine, you can read the story for yourself, but in the midst of the famine, in the Father's house, there was more than enough to go around. I want to tell you today, there's more than enough love. There's more than enough grace. There's more than enough forgiveness. But you have to embrace it. You have to accept his grace. It's there for each and every one. But only the ones that will receive it, embrace it, will receive his grace and his mercy. I want you to stand with me today, please. 
in this house today and say, Pastor Brian, I can relate. Somehow in this life, I've lost my way. You may not be in the pig pen today, but you're headed that direction. Or maybe you find yourself, as it were, in the pig pen of life and you just don't know how to get out. It starts with repentance and then a changing of your direction. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I can relate. I know what you're talking about today. And I want to make my way home this morning. As Melissa sings, I want to invite you to come today. And I want to invite you to pray today. We'll pray with you. But for God's sake and for yours, don't leave and go back to the pin pen, pin pen. Choose today grace. Choose today forgiveness. They sing, would you come today? Father God loves you. 
He wants better for you. That's the reason he sent his son so that you can have life and have abundantly. If you don't know that love today, come. Let him show you his love this morning. from God throughout all of eternity but the only difference is is when we accept that grace and the mercy of God and choose to make a difference can I tell you today that when we continue in the way we're going we're going to continue to get what we've always got but God's got a better plan for you ma'am he's got a better plan for you sir but you have to embrace his love. I know that there's others here today that need to accept that grace and that love. I can't make you. If I could, I'd make everybody accept it, receive it, because I know what it can do in your life. I can't do that. Nobody can do that for us. We have to choose. And whenever we get tired of the pig pen, and we choose he's there and he's faithful to bring us out there's some others here today that you so desperately want to step out but you're afraid you embarrass you're ashamed don't allow condemnation this is not a place where we're going there will not there will not be no judgment in this house not as long as i'm pastor not as long as i'm in leadership there'll not be judgment this will be a safe place for you to fall apart this will be a safe place where that you can come with a godly sorrow and say, God, I need you. And there'll be no condemnation because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
but this will be a place where we can always run to the Father. And without shame or embarrassment, we can call on his name and he'll be able and just to forgive us of everything that's been taking place in our life, right? Melissa, I want you to sing it one more time. If you're here today and you want to change in your life, the only way it's going to come is through Jesus Christ. Embrace him today. And if you don't want to come along, come ask somebody to come with you. But receive his grace It's who I am. You're a good, good father. 
happens in your life. 